and it's not easy stepping out of your comfort zone and uh, and and it gets harder because as you step out of your comfort zone your comfort zone gets bigger and it gets bigger and it gets bigger and then the fears can become bigger you know so at the end of the day it's all about fighting your own fears it's about finding the rationality of these fears um, and also you know not ever stopping dreaming hello and welcome to grief gratitude and the gray in between podcast this podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right into today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, I am chatting with a childhood friend. Long, We've known each other for many years. We went to school together, and now we are here. We're going to be here chatting with you all. He'll be sharing uh, some really interesting perspectives about stepping out of comfort zone in areas that have to do with work and career and just goals. So we have filmmaker and storyteller John Foggio here with us today. Hello, hello. Hi, Kendra. Such a pleasure to be here with you. Same. And we were chatting before we scheduled this interview as to what language we'd be talking in, we'd be speaking in. And that was one of the things that were like, okay, do we, we are used to talking in like more like Spanglish mode in general. And so we're like, what should, but we both lived out of the country, out of Colombia for so long that... Um, I guess English is what you probably navigate the most now in your career as well, correct? Yeah, so I live in Kenya. I've been here for 17 years, and my wife is English. She's British. And uh, the, even though Swahili is the most common spoken language in Kenya, English is the uh, lingua franca. So oh, okay. um, I speak English all the time. And even my kids, I try to speak Spanish and I get more Spanish out of a wall than my own. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am the same way here. And 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 the thing is that I have no excuse because both my husband and I are both Colombian, so we speak Spanish to each other. Yet when our kids speak back to us, they they respond in English. So um, so it's a, a yeah. I I can understand any and but I have um less of an excuse because my spouse also speaks Spanish and yet our kids still respond in English. So I get <laughs> it. All right. So let's talk about first off, okay, so you were born and raised in Colombia. And then what first off took you into studying film? And let's just kind of go that way. Uh and then we'll just uh venture into the conversation about comfort zone and all the times you've had to kind of step out of that comfort zone in your own uh, career and process. So take us back to your upbringing and how you left Colombia. Well, it's quite interesting. I went to an American school in Cali. I actually studied with Kendra and my father was uh, the Spanish teacher there. And, um, you know, one of the perks he had was that uh, his 
children would have a, an education in one of these top schools in the country. And I dreamt all my life of traveling um, outside Colombia. We say in Colombia, this is saying the poor want to be Mexicans, the middle class want to be Americans, and the rich want to be European. And so I wanted to go to uh, the U.S. and have the, you know, achieve the American dream. When I was 13 or 14, uh, one of our classmates brought a, a video camera to school, and we started playing with it. Um, and I really got into video, and uh, teachers encouraged us to present rather than doing the typical uh, board presentation to make little films. So I started making little films, and I made uh, I made some money selling like class graduation, uh, senior graduation, and I would go to my friends' schools and say, "Hey, I can make a video of your nativity play or whatever." Um, I then something happens in your life when you're in school, which um, I I think happens to all of us, and is that it castrates your creativity and it castrates your dreams. Mm. Or traditionally, I don't know if things may be changing, but the system is designed so that you go and be productive and look for a career. And uh, coming from Colombia, you know the traditional careers, and in many places of the world would be architecture, law, medicine, uh, engineering. And um, and I thought, um, okay, I'm going to get serious. And the closest thing I can do to filming is maybe advertising. And I went to study advertising, but uh, that didn't work out. Um, then I moved on to, I then thought, uh, I started teaching English when I was 18 uh, to make money and be independent from home. And then I thought, okay, I'll go to the best university in the country. Um, and I studied general courses for one semester. Um, and, and then I hated it because I studied with the, some of the richest kids in the country. I was already working as an English teacher and paying everything myself. And I would be late to a four-hour um, designing class. I mean, four hours, and I would be late 15 minutes. And the teachers asked me, why are you always late? I said, well, I apologize, but I work, I teach. And so I'm late because I just come from uh, teaching a 130 lesson. And this teacher said, well, you either study or you work, but you can't do both. Hmm. And that, that really is just that, so different. That, yeah. Such a different perspective, especially even here, like in the in the States, like nowadays, like that is not like at all what would be the status quo. You know what I mean? Like people, a lot of kids, you know, work their way to be in school. So that was that's definitely very different. What uh, what our upbringing was, or at least at that time period. Well, it just speaks volumes of the class system in Colombia. You know, so I was in an elite university, Los Andes, and then I just had a very pompous teacher who was like, you know, you either work or study. To which I thought, I don't have to be here because I'm not going to put up with this kind of attitude because I can't work and I can't just study or I can just work i've got to do both because this is an expensive university and then something happened that, and it's that all along the way i was not happy uh with my choice and uh, mm -hmm. and and i thought well what do i really want to do and um and i thought well i've always 
known. Oh, so there's an incident in in this general courses. I was interested in psychology, and and I went to the psychology class, and I was blown away because, you know, they were asking questions about Freud and blah blah blah. I don't know, and there were people raising their hands and they were talking about it, and I was thinking maybe I'm in the wrong class, but I wasn't. To which I realized, oh, okay, these people are passionate about psychology. I'm not, mm. so I've got no idea what I'm doing here. So I thought and thought about it, and I finally decided to go to university and study film. Now, there were two uh, film universities in Colombia. One was uh, the public university, and the other one was this cheap university which was back then not even a university you you graduated with a technological degree which is three and a half years rather than five and i thought hard and long about it having gone through the experience of the university of these los andes where i was also in classes with people that never read never did their research and so it became like a summary lesson rather than a, a discussion and i was like why what am i doing here um, getting a review or a, a, um, about the something cliff notes, the cliff yeah. notes, yeah. the cliff notes, rather than really the insights, like people having conversations about what they thought of what they read, rather than just a summary of what they read. Like, so right? Thought, like there yeah, was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to, it doesn't matter where I study because whatever I'm missing, like whatever gaps I have, in my education, I can fill them in with uh, a good library. So I looked for, these two universities had a good library. But the difference was that the public university didn't have equipment. And back then, uh, in 1996, when, before digital video cameras, uh, film was the golden standard. And, uh, and I thought, okay, I want access to these film cameras so that I can, you know, grow as a filmmaker here and that's what I did um, and then I had my big dream which was going to the States and something funny happened and is that I graduated and I was in a relationship with uh, my, my girlfriend from unit three years and a half and she was Colombian American and she said why don't we go to the States so we got married and uh, and I thought, okay, we'll go to the States, and then that's my way in into the film industry. Now, that didn't work out because uh, she went ahead. I mean, we got married. We had been together for three and a half years. Uh, we got married. We did the American Embassy paperwork, and then she went off ahead of me, and then she just was dazzled. She had an American passport because she had been born in Colombia, but she had never lived there. <laughs> mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. when she went there, it was just like, you know, like the broad daylight, the, yeah, Broadway mm -hmm. lights shining, you know. Ah. Shiny so magic, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I stayed behind. And I made a big mistake when I stayed behind. And is I thought I, thought I was too good um, to just get a local job uh, in, mm. in the film industry. And something happened. Can, which can is, we pause one sec? I, do, yeah. can, do you mind if I pause you for a second? Um, 
Okay, so I, I'm in this conversation. I'm curious. So we're at this part. I just want to make sure we put a little um, bookmark where we're at because I tend to do this. I tend to go back because I want to fill in these gaps. I'm curious, what were your parents' thoughts of you switching careers and studying film? Again, going back, we were talking before we even started recording about the the aspect of like the titles that we get so attached to and like, the, and again, like, oh, well, is a doctor, doctor this or doctor that or, you know, or... Um, what was the reaction of your parents when you decided to become a filmmaker and to go into that route rather than the career you had uh, started to do in advertising? Well, luckily for me, I didn't quit one university, but two. So by the third time I said, <laughs> I said, I want to be a filmmaker. My dad was like, just get a degree. I don't care if you, you're a baker or a filmmaker or, you know, like, uh, whatever, but just get a degree, and so it yeah. was not that hard. Okay, so that was that. Okay, yeah, I mean, <laughs> just was but, curious. But, <laughs> but uh, to give credit to my father, uh, he loves poetry. He was a Spanish teacher, and yeah. so he never had a problem with uh, me studying film. The arts. My brother, yeah, the my, arts itself, yeah, yeah, my brother studied arts. Uh, so, mm -hmm. and my mom was very encouraging. Um, and anyway, awesome. when I was okay. when I was in school, sorry I was to, making sorry money. To pause. Yeah. I was making money filming and selling videos, so I, I had been independent for quite a while. Okay. Um, so okay, so we bookmarked ad when you when you decided to submit, and then you felt like you were too good to just take a job. Um, yeah, you see, this is a yeah. huge problem, which is your ego. Uh, yeah. Your ego, yeah, your ego yeah. gets in the way all the time, and this this was yeah. like the first big. Uh, block in my life was thinking, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm too good for this. I need to um, go to Hollywood and go to the US. Now, my father had been very insistent. Oh, you've got to meet Mauricio. He went to Harvard. He was from our school, Kendra, Mauricio uh, Ramirez, <laughs> Mauricio Ellis. And he went to Harvard. He was a top athlete in Colombia. Uh, and he studied film, and he was back in Colombia, and my father was, you got to go and meet Mauricio. But I remembered Mauricio, I was, I'm, um, I think I'm eight years younger than him. And so I remembered this guy, and I thought, but he's a, he's a geek, he's a nerd. He's like, how boring. Anyway, finally I went and I met Mauricio, and he showed me a bit of what he was doing, which was a documentary about condors. And the and the paramo in uh, Latin America, which is our national, which is our el condor is a national. Oh, no, is condor not? Is that our national bird too, yeah. or is it just from? Yeah, it is our national bird. It okay, and okay. it just blew my mind what I saw. I was, I was so blown away, and I had never considered documentary ever. I wanted to make feature films, mm. and so then I was very determined. I want to go. I want to work with this guy, and I had nothing to show him. So I went and I, um, I got a little project. I got involved in a little project where I could do camera work. I di even did the acting, <laughs> and it was like a tourism uh, clip wait, wait, we for got, we, Dinamarca. You had you had done acting already. At the, we we were in a play together, Mister. So we had done acting already, <laughs> just yeah, on no, a stage. Like, this, is, this is like <laughs> this me is on camera. operating operating <laughs> the camera and acting and editing. <laughs> And, uh, and I had very cheap tools, um, 
but I just worked really hard to make it look very polished. And he loved it. He said, oh, it just comes to show, you know, it's not, it's not the tool, but what you do with it that matters. Um, now, the other problem I had is that I had been working as an English teacher at Berlitz from the age of 18, and I was already 24. And at that stage, I had already uh, dropped out of Berlitz as a teacher, but I had uh, my private students, and I was making pretty good money in Colombia. And no one could match um, what I made working, you know, four hours, I was working four hours a day. No one could match that salary, that income um, in the film industry if I came as an apprentice. And that was very hard, but then mm. um, when... So in that point, again, was it the ego again, being attached to the component no, of the financial child. of what you have drawn well, I you? Had, I had a rebound, <laughs> so uh, immediately okay. after my wife um, uh, yeah, that's true, right? left the mm -hmm. scene, I met this other girl, and three months later, she was pregnant. So... Um, and I said, look, we can have the child, but, um, and, and, and I was happy. I was like, great, I'm going to be a dad. Um, but then I, and that was interesting because I thought about it and I realized if I didn't work for my dreams now at that point or then, uh, it would be really hard to achieve them because, a child is a major responsibility. So now you've got to edu educate him. And I just saw myself then uh, trapped in time, uh, perpetually being, you know, a teacher and then and maybe ending up as a director of one of these uh, institutes or a school. And that was not the path I wanted for myself. I wanted to be a filmmaker. So I had to make a real hard decision and... And I thought, okay, I'm gonna, uh, I'm going to work as a filmmaker, uh, start as an apprentice from the very bottom, and and keep on teaching English to supplement until it got to a point where my son was born, and I was doing two, three jobs at the same time. So uh, I would be teaching English during the day, and then I had what they called the whore shift because it was from eight o'clock at night to six o'clock in the morning. And I was just editing, and I was mm. barely sleeping. But one thing led to the other, and I, and then finally I started working with this guy Mauricio, and um, and we did a big documentary on the history of uh, Latin American aviation for uh, Discovery Latin America. Uh, but uh, we were working for another production company, so he was an employee, and I was an employee. And I had never in my life been so mistreated. It was awful. Uh, the producer of the whole company was just, I mean, incredible piece of work. And he, he basically a slaver. And then when we finished the project, uh, we were very happy with what we did with the final project. We were offered a, a permanent position in the company where we would basically... We would have to look for the stories, we would look for the funding, and then we would put the funding towards this project through this production company, and and that would be it. And they would keep all the glory, right? And so Mauricio turned around to me and said, uh, 
he said, look, this we have this alternative, or I have some savings, I'll buy an editing machine, You and uh, I find a place to rent, we open up an office, and we do the same thing, but we don't have any backup. And um, this was, he offered this to myself, another, another young guy who was like assistant production, and we said, we'd rather eat our own poo-poo than someone mm -hmm. else's. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, that, so that, that right there was again, like just standing up, I guess you had already experienced the working for somebody else's dream to some extent and, and being treated the way you did that it just gave you then that opportunity to already just decide that that's not what you were going to do. It's kind of, I, I, you know, I call this grief gratitude in the gray in between because in those hard moments is when you also are grateful for those because it shows you a different direction as to what to go because you've already experienced what was not what you wanted. Right. So then Absolutely. it took you into the direction of, yeah, of then creating your own dream. So how was that? How was it creating then something from scratch with these two other it individuals? It was phenomenal. Was it was phenomenal. Love. The best thing ever. Um, there was so much energy and, you know, and, and the bet paid off. I think the first year and a half was a bit challenging. We, we got little projects and we could live. I, I could have still been making more money. Okay. I, by that point, I had already dropped from teaching English. Maybe I had one or two lessons every now and then to supplement a little bit. Um, and, and then when we opened the office, um, you know, my son was already a year old. And what we were doing was amazing in terms of work, but I was really struggling with money. And I had to downsize my flat. I had a really nice flat. I moved downtown, which was not like the best area. Um, and then I couldn't go out. My friends would come visit sometimes, visiting from out of town. Let's go out, have some drinks. And I'd say, actually, do you mind? We have a drink at home and you help me with some nappies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so my friends subsidized, uh, you know, my, uh, my son's nappies, nappies for, and milk. nappies for us. Well, that for us, American, that would be diapers. diapers <laughs> Is that yeah, right? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, diapers. Just diapers. make making sure because you have the you have the British you have the British government making sure so the that, so then just help. so you had to like make some sacrifices but at the same time you did you feel like you were missing out by making those sacrifices in your lifestyle or did you not because of the reward that was coming from doing what you really loved. I didn't feel I was missing out. Um, uh -huh. I always thought that was temporal. Um, and I've always believed, you know, like you have temporal setbacks. At the moment, it is hard, right? But you try everything. And I have to admit at one point, you know, I had schemes in my mind. At one point, I, I felt a lot of empathy for people that actually commit a crime in order to help their family, you know, their children. Because... Mm -hmm. I thought, Jesus, if I have no other alternative, I would happily rob someone, you know, or I would commit a fraud. I don't know. And I just thought... Because you had a child. Wow, because yeah. you had a child and you knew. And yeah. it was hard. I mean, it was hard. I was, you know, I had, I would walk to work for an hour and a half back and forth um, because I had to save every penny. So I wouldn't spend a bus fare. And I'm not talking about a cab. Wow. I'm talking about a bus fare. 
And so and that was an hour and a half. Each, although that would have yeah. almost taken you. you th- it, although in Bogota, where is where you lived at that time, correct? That that would have probably taken you that amount of time, even riding the bus with the traffic. Or were you saving time aside from money by walking, or were you adding no, the I time wasn't. as well? No, because no, there's no traffic. Three times as long. Five thirty. Three in the times as long. Oh yeah, so three. So so yeah. So then that was a sacrifice you were making there, even just walking, just to save even on that that. Yeah, end. but there was uh, there was a good purpose there. behind it. There was a good purpose, mm-hmm. which is like your son, your child. Yeah. But then yes. you know uh, we hit a jackpot and we got um, commissioned by Discovery to do. A, um, a reality show with a Latin American Grammy awarded band with Basilos. And they said, look, we need to take Basilos in September. We were in May, uh, May, 2004. We need to take them, uh, on a safari anywhere around the world, a trip, uh, to see something related with wildlife and make a series, uh, of four episodes for animal planet, Latin America. And we have a million dollar budget. And this was like huge for us. It was like, this is what we opened this office for. This is it. Mm-hmm. And we worked really hard because, uh, you know, time constraints. Now, Mauricio's dad used to hunt in Tanzania and Mauricio hated it. And so he, he swore himself that he would do a photographic safari. Safari means in Swahili trip. Uh, so everyone thinks safari is hunting. Safari means mm-hmm. a journey, a trip. trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he said, we're going to have a photographic safari. Um, and we looked and uh, logistically speaking, it was better coming to Kenya than Tanzania because the distances in Tanzania, you have to cover a much um, broader. And, uh, and there were more things to do here in a, in a tighter area. So it worked best for us. Now, something. This is what year? Happened. What year? That's what 2004. Year is it? You... 2004. Okay, okay. Now, something incredible happened, and is that, um, you know, I would say I was very lucky, and, and there was magic in the air. And many years later, I came to understand that I had created that luck and that magic. And I'll say why. Because Luck is the encounter of preparation and opportunity. If I offer you right now, Kendra, you know, like you can, uh, if I give you half a million, you know, $500 million and you open, you know, a competition to Tesla, you wouldn't do it because you're not prepared. So when people come to me and they say, oh, you're so lucky, you get these amazing jobs, I say, well, you know, if Netflix called you right now and offered you the same job I've been offered, would you be able to do it knowing, knowing the skill sets you have? Uh, maybe not. So for me, luck, luck is I was prepared for that moment. And then the magic, magic is stepping out of your comfort zone. When you're trapped in your comfort zone, you live on, in Groundhog, Groundhog Day. Everything is the same. The minute you step out of your comfort zone, things are tough, but amazing things start happening. And that's the magic, magic in life, I believe. 
So, you know, Mauricio uh, said, Joanne has to travel. I was going to be the editor of the series. And he turns around and tells Discovery, Joanne has got to come to Kenya with me um, as a camera assistant. And they turned around and they said, he's never traveled. He's never traveled. He doesn't have that experience. And he put his hands on fire for me and said, look, he's going to be the series editor. He's got to know what happened on the trip. And he's an amazing cameraman. And he'll be not only assisting us uh, with the camera work, like with tapes and charging batteries, but he'll be doing camera work himself. And so I was very lucky that Mauricio uh, believed in me because I had worked really hard in achieving this dream with him. Remember when we, when he said, we either stay with his job and we do the work for someone mm -hmm. else, or we come together and we do our own thing and you know we suffer and we, but we reap our own benefits. And he he delivered with that promise. Mm -hmm. And so. I was absolutely broke, but this project changed things around. Um, then the money started coming in. I did go to Kenya, and then everything changed again. <laughs> okay. So at this point, then, how long was that trip to Kenya then for that particular project? And then... It was, it was a very short yeah. trip. Uh, Maurice and I were all together a month here in Kenya because uh, it okay. was a reality show, so we basically... You know, Basilos had only two weeks um, in their very busy and hectic schedule. And so uh, we came a week before, then the band appeared and we filmed for two weeks and then we stayed on for another week. Um, okay. Now, and then what happened then from there? Then this is where you said everything changed. Well, so let's... I, have, I have to do a little bracket there. Absolutely. Um, I'm good with, I'm, so, I'm the expert at brackets. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Open bracket. Um, my okay. relationship was not working with the mother of my son. Uh, it was actually a very tormentous relationship. And I was very, very, um, I, I, I was lost. I didn't know what mm. to do because I was not happy. I was absolutely miserable. Now you have to bear in mind that I was sacrificing like everything like financially and personally to make my career work. Now at the same time, I was sacrificing my emotional side uh, for, you know, for my child because I thought if I'm not with my, you know, if I'm not in this relationship, um, then my son will suffer. So I decided to, um, put my emotions down and just live with it. Now, many years later with a, a therapist, I learned that um, I'm, I've always been passive aggressive and I just eat quietly and I just start boiling up inside because I sacrifice myself for mm. people or for to make the peace, to keep the peace, to keep the peace around, but then inside you're just stuffing it just to yeah. kind of um, not, yeah, to not, not for, uh, ruffle any feathers yet at the end of the day, then so at some point it has to come out in one way or another. Yeah. Luckily, so in, in uh, or, your, you know, yeah. as fate would have it, uh, the mother of my son, a month, two months 
or three months before I traveled, she said, this relationship is not working. And I was okay. like, now, huh, yeah. So how I is know, that? I know, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> that was, so now that was with, a bit with, confusing. That's, that's a bit confusing. Because she had, mm. I had always been a crutch for her. Um, I hope she's not listening to this. <laughs> she, well, you don't I, have to I, I, was, well, I was a crutch, <laughs> uh, you know, an emotional crutch. She would say, uh, you know, without you, um, I can't live. You know, that kind of... Um, mm -hmm. Dependency. That yeah, is dependency. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, anyway, she then turned around. I think she, she started working again. And, and then she met someone at work that, uh, you know, really was interested in her. And, and I think that made her think. And she came and she said, this is not working. So we still shared the same flat. It was amicable. Um, but then when I traveled to Kenya, I mean, I, I so I had never been on a transatlantic trip. And I came all the way from Bogota to Nairobi in business class, drinking champagne, stuffing myself up in the plane. I mean, it was amazing. And then my mind was blown away when I got to Amsterdam and I saw cops with, you know, mohawks and, and earrings. I was like, what? The culture, the culture yeah, shock. Culture yeah. shock. <laughs> and then seeing Indians, Japanese, seeing the whole world, mm. like, and all, everyone yeah. dressed up differently and skippable. I was like, oh my God, this is it. This, this, this is it. Oh. This is one of the dreams I had in the back of my mind for such a long time and I was doing it. And I come to Kenya and then I meet, uh, I mean, the woman of my life and she's currently still my wife. <laughs> Samantha, no, Sam, is that how, she, Sam, yeah. is that what you Sam. call her, Sam? So Sam, Sam with so, Sam then, do you met, do you met her during that trip? Do you met her during that then short trip for you guys, that you guys were doing? Uh, so yes. how then, well, how, what are you, was she part of the production? Was she, how she did was. you meet her? Uh, so when we landed, we were doing a bit of pre-production with uh, the, the people organizing our trip on the ground. And we realized like, oh, wow, we don't have any women in our show. These are four guys. Mm. And the guide, our guide said like, oh, don't worry. We have uh, these lovely ladies. She's photogenic. She's got a witty sense of humor. And she'll be joining us. Uh, she's going to help with logistics. And I'm sure she'll be happy to be filmed. And every day he would say, like, she's coming tonight. And then the following day, she's coming tonight. Then the following day, she's coming tonight. <laughs> to it, now I was intrigued. Wait, waiting for woman? Godot. Yeah. Like, waiting for Godot. <laughs> Who is this like, woman? Wait. So when I met her, she actually came. She, she came the same day that the band arrived. And so... I met her working, I was filming. And when, when I point, I could not stop pointing my camera at her. <laughs> I have never been so unprofessional. I think I didn't film these guys the whole trip at all. I was just so the, filming the documentary her. for Basilos is like Sam on camera. <laughs> the <Yeah>. whole documentary. <laughs> uh, now, um, you know, I believe that in life we cross celestial paths. Like there are doors mm -hmm. when you're, you go through life opening and closing doors and you go into long hallways or alleys of doors and you, you say, I'm going to try this door. I'm going to try. And, and at the same time, other people are 
crossing those doors. And, mm. and I've realized like all these years living here, for example, that I had been walking parallel to other people I have met here mm. and that had been to Colombia on a holiday and blah, 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 and whatever, and realized like, oh, wow, you know, if we had cro probably we crossed paths yes. in Colombia yes. and now we have a total relationship here. So Samantha so is one awesome. of those people. Um, and, uh, but, but she was very dismissive of me because uh, I'm nine years younger than her. So when I came, I was 27 or 26, 27. And she was already older than me and the Mexican, other Mexican cameraman was flirting with her. Luckily, he didn't speak English. She doesn't speak Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we had a fling, and then I came uh, 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 the day I was leaving, and uh, and I just got to Amsterdam, wrote her an email, and then I got to Colombia, she wrote me an email, and we had a long-distance relationship for three months. She went to visit me to Colombia uh, in December 20, 2004. And then we had a great holiday and she said, oh, this is not going to work because I'm not going to move here and learn Spanish. I had to learn Swahili. She had been in East Africa for 10 years. Um, and then she's like, you have a child. And I realized um, then, no, you know, well, if I don't make things work, nothing's going to happen. I said, look, I want to go mm -hmm. to Kenya. So I made the decision to come to Kenya. Um, yeah. How was that? How was it making that decision of leaving your country? So here's, here's one of these things of the stepping outside your comfort zone. So you stepped outside your, you were, I'm going to kind of retrace a little bit here. So you've stepped outside your comfort zone in areas of work before you stepped outside your comfort zone when you created, you know, this company with, um, uh, with with Mauricio Vélez, you you stepped outside your comfort zone when you traveled to Kenya, you know, first time internationally, and now here again, you're stepping outside your comfort zone to leave your home, leave your child, to then move uh, again, not just to another country, just another continent. So, how was that transition and decision for you? Um, it's funny, but I made that decision. Uh, the day I had the fling with my wife <laughs> or the one yeah. night stand, as you would call it in the U S mm. um, I, I, I thought I could live here. Um, mm. And I didn't think your soul, about your soul felt, your soul felt that was home. I, I don't know, but something happened and I thought I, I just felt so comfortable there. Mm. And I thought something deep inside of me said, you don't have to go to the U S because that had always been my dream. So I think it's very, you know, when things become clear, um, mm -hmm. I think, okay, I think in life you have uh, long-term goals, mid-term and short-term goals. And for example, I thought living in the U.S. was a long-term, like it was my main goal in life. Um, and then I realized like, nah, no, it's not. Um, and I thought, the right thing is moving here. And I don't know what's going to happen, but I'll never find out unless I try it out. Uh, so I had no fear. And I actually, but I, I did reserve that information to myself. I didn't tell anyone that 
already I was planning to go back to Kenya. And the funny mm -hmm. thing is, like, you know, like, um, I had nothing here, right? I, I met this girl, mm -hmm. but it was a fling. Now what happened is that we made it work, having a long-distance relationship. And, um, and then when I told everyone that I was coming here, a month before actually coming here, everyone tried to, tried to dissuade me. And that mm. I found that truly unbelievable. And I realized that um, they were projecting their own fears on me. So I would be told things like, but you know, you've worked so hard and now you, you, you had a very successful project with Discovery and there's so many more that will come your way. You'll be, because I also did a little directing for Discovery parallel to this project. Uh, so I could have stayed on and made a career and keep this client. Um, then other people would say like, oh, but your family is here. That's so far away. Uh, and then other people would say, well, it's Kenya. Nairobi is Nairobi. Um, you know, like, what are you going to do there? And I thought, I said, well, I'll figure it out. But I can actually, I could be an English teacher or a Spanish teacher. I don't know. I could do anything. It doesn't matter. But I was mm -hmm. confident. I thought, okay, hold on. Um, I'm a good filmmaker, you know, I'm learning, I'm growing. Now I've stepped out of my ego and I realized, okay, you don't know, you don't know at all. You will never you don't know what you know don't know. <laughs> you, you, you will never yeah. know everything and you keep growing because mm -hmm. I realized now working with Mauricio that, yeah, it's just, you just have to come to every project with a clean slate and willing mm. to work and learn. So I came here. Um, luckily, I had left enough money for my child for six months. So I came again. Um, I came without a penny. I came with $300. I came with a rucksack, $300, and a little uh, Mac Mini. And then luckily, Samantha said, well, you can live with me. Um, and then three days later, uh, I had no money. And she said, how much money did you bring? three hundred dollars <laughs> now three hundred dollars in I can see you a long way but not in kenya uh, so yeah so i had to go out and look for work network um i would go out on a bicycle and go to samantha's office borrow the car go and meet people so, yeah it was interesting <laughs> yeah so then what okay so then how then did you start doing film there and at what point and how long into your uh being in kenya did you start kind of creating then what you ha now have and we're going to step into now the present to kind of just jumping a few you've had now since a daughter um right you have your your daughter now so you want to kind of jump forward to the the now and then we just go into how your career shifted sure so um okay um so i'm involved it's hard in right it's hard it's so hard especially as a storyteller as we were just saying before it's so hard to like jump into like i'm like wait all these details matter oh, no. everything in between <laughs> i want to give it like a one-liner so so currently <laughs> okay. currently um i'm involved in different projects um 
I'm a documentary filmmaker, but I'm, so I call myself a filmmaker because although I started with documentary, I have filmed feature films. Um, I do music videos. I do a lot of advertising um, and, and other things, but, and I'm a cameraman, I'm an editor, I'm a director, I'm a producer. Um, How did you establish that? How did you establish that by living there, being a foreigner in this country? Like, how did you end up creating? You see, I'm like, now I'm I, here I am, like, wanting, now I'm the one that wants to know the details. But how did you just, did Samantha introduce you to people she knew, or did, how was it that you established what you now are there? So everything here works word of mouth, but not mm -hmm. by someone coming and saying, like, oh, you should hire my friend. He's a good filmmaker. Um, it's reputation, and that reputation mm -hmm. you build by uh, living up to your promises. So one of the mm -hmm. big drawbacks uh, here with people is that they'll promise you the sun and the moon. Yeah, I, you know, if you say, can you deliver in a week? Yes. Can you do it for $2,000? Yes. When the reality is it would be in two months and a it costs uh -huh. $8,000. <laughs> and so, and I learned that very quickly when people would let me down. And then I would have conversations before hiring people and ask them how much they would say X amount and how long, however many days. And I would always say, if you are telling me, uh, if you're giving this price and this time frame, thinking, oh, this is what he wants to hear. So I'll get the job by telling him what he wants to hear. And then I'll just come up and start bloating the price and giving excuses, then what will happen is we'll finish the project six months down the line, we'll be sworn enemies, I'll never hire you again, and I'll just, I'll tell the people around me not to hire you again. So, is that the price and is that the deadline? Uh, no. <laughs> so, but I, 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 I would keep my promises and I was always in budget when I started, I started working, filming interviews, and, and then the person that uh, I did the interview with was very happy with the work we did. We did it on the spot. I edited on the spot. And then she said, she said, well, would you be happy to work with me making like more of this? And I said, sure. And then that turned, this was for the International Livestock Research Institute. And uh, it's one of 15 centers of research institutes um, of a conglomerate called the CGIR, uh, Consortium of International Agricultural Research, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and we jumped from doing interviews to then filming a little story about trypanosomiasis in Ethiopia, to then going to Uganda, to then uh, for seven years, I traveled to 24 African countries, to India, to the UK and to the US, uh, with this kind of like agricultural scientific research stories, but focused around people. So again, something I like Stick back again to stories. I, uh huh. I don't know. Like I never dreamt. Oh yeah, I wanted to do films for. I wanted to make Transformers and James Bond films. <laughs> <laughs> and there I am with farmers filming their stories, and it was amazing because. Um, you know, I realized like my job was telling stories and uh, to impact policy makers 
mm. to to twist their arm into you have to work with us, um, help us with these policies because the farmers need them. So scientists are very, um, you know, scientific in their approach, and they would talk about the science and think like policymakers understand that. Policymakers don't care. They they want to know how does this have an impact on the ground. So my job was going out to the field and and finding real people, you know, like underdog heroes, um, people that work really hard and show them, like, you you've got to help these guys because they're doing everything possible to uplift themselves. So it was showing like not charity but um, the worthiness of people. Yeah, standing up for the standing up for the little guy, for example, type of thing. That component of just standing up for those that may not be able to stand up for themselves completely. Is that how you felt? Yeah, and yes, absolutely. And it was fun because, um, you know, I, I had to figure out how to tell engaging stories. And there's a problem with, or there used to be a problem with the word documentary. It was a dirty word. People would think like documentary. Oh, interviews, boring. You know, mm. you take a look at Netflix now and the number of documentaries there. And they are so oh, interesting, yeah. so engaging. Yeah. So it was it was interesting. Now that changed because then they started turning around and saying like, oh, can you do a video, you know, for human resources? We want to um, attract scientists from Europe or whatever. So then I started making videos showing the dorms and the facilities and we have a squash and then I thought, no, I might as well do wedding videos. They're more interesting. I don't want to do this, mm. you know. So I decided to go back to um, longer form documentary. And a very interesting project landed on my lap. Um, and I was, I tried to turn it down. Uh, and sometimes when you try to turn something down really hard, and people are persistent, you really have to look again and say, okay, there might maybe be there's something. a reason. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like, again, back to those, um, what you're talking about, the sliding, the walking in the hallways kind of and the different doors. And at some point we do have to kind of, kind of check in with ourselves. Are these opportunities coming up to us for a reason and reevaluate re the right. And, uh, and think if there's going to be a moment in which we're just going to pass it or if we're going to open that door or not. Because if not, it's going to probably come up later on, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> so um, that's awesome yeah. that you took. So you did take it. And then? And we, it was a very interesting collaboration uh, with a Canadian um, filmmaker, director, Anjali Nayar. And um, we started this documentary. Well, she had been working on it. And... and uh, she was looking for funding and she told me the story was about cattle rustlers or cattle thieves here in Kenya. Uh, there, there's two tribes mm -hmm. that fight amongst each other with AK-47, so they're armed and they shoot each other for their cattle and, and they just wow. steal it back and forth. And this is in the northern part of Kenya, which is like bandit territory. And... Um, and she said, oh, it's about cattle rustlers leaving their guns behind to run marathons. And I was like, what? I, I've got to do this project. 
<laughs> I mean, I just thought it was the most incredible project. Such a, I, I hadn't, you know, everyone talks about marathon runners in Kenya. Uh, everyone's made a documentary about Kenyan marathon runners. Mm -hmm. uh, but and I've seen so many, and they're all the same. You know, it's about the runner, and that's it. But this was not about marathon runners. This was it had the marathon there, but it was about life choices, and it was about mm. friendship, and it was about you know like uh, the realities of Kenya. So we worked on that project for uh, six years, um, and we started another one in Liberia at the same time, which also took it took six or seven years, and we started another one at the same time, which we're still filming. So that's been now ten years or eleven years, um, and so I just shifted everything. I totally dropped the research institutes, and I started doing documentary. And I started doing then advertising. I decided to invest in um, a very professional equipment. And then my wife turns around and says, uh, you know, we're getting kicked out of our house because they're, they're selling ah. the plot. So, um, you know, one of the amazing things about living in Nairobi and Kenya is that you can live in big places. But if you don't own the plot, it's expensive. It has become really expensive. Mm. So like my neighbor's house goes for $5,000 a month. And this is in a third world country. Um, wow. So she said, Let, let's buy land. And I was like, I've been saving for eight years for my gear. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, uh, yeah, let's, let's buy land. And we bought, uh, we bought an acre and we got a mortgage. And we got a mortgage for five years. Uh, they only gave us a mortgage for five years, $150,000, um, with a 20% interest in Kenya. Ooh. So um, then those five years were really hard. And for me, it felt like going back to square one when mm. I was teaching English and trying to be a filmmaker. Then all of a sudden, here I am, full-fledged filmmaker, but really struggling and struggling because I, you know, I did have very good projects. I worked for the UN uh, making films. I worked in advertising and I had some steady clients, but then this is when, uh, uh, you know, financial markets were plummeting. Um, and had and your daughter been born yet at that moment? Yes. Yeah. My, she had, uh, okay. Yeah, she was two years old. Okay. And my son, oh, parenthesis, my son came to live with me a year and a half after I had been here in Kenya. So, oh, wow. so my son has grown up in Kenya. It originally was intended for a year, and then he stayed on. And, and he's still here, okay. thanks to COVID, <laughs> even though he just he graduated from school last year. So, um, you know, we... we I looked at the numbers and said, okay, it's hard paying $150,000 in five years, but um, we can make it. Uh, what I didn't count with is my, some of my clients not paying, not settling their bills uh, up to a year and a half later. And mm. so uh, I went back to 
you know, I would no longer drive my car. I would save fuel and I would go down on the bike with the bike to the shops and buy milk and whatever. We stopped going out for dinner with friends. Uh, we stopped socializing. A lot of people stopped inviting us because they're like, oh, yeah. Uh, and they, they can't come out, you know. So it was really hard. And I was working, I mean, I was working Saturdays, Sundays. Um, there were months in which I would be working 20, 22 hours a day. Um, I had the stamina to sleep two hours a day. And I would sleep whenever I was tired. Like, oh, now I need to sleep for two hours. Um, and then I, I, I absolutely hated that life. And I absolutely hated a plot and owing money and working just for that purpose. And I felt I had no life. Uh, I think that that was like the hardest thing ever. And then come Christmas, uh, I think five years ago, um, we are at friends that, uh, you know, we're, we're with, no, well, sorry, we wake up to the 25th, which is when we give gifts here. And we had said no gifts for us, just the kids. Well, my wife had some gifts for me, like really silly things and a beautiful card. I didn't even have a card for my wife. I didn't even, you know, like wrap a spoon and say, happy Christmas, anything. And, and, and she was, it, it was so hard for her. It broke uh -huh. her um, oh, because man. she thought like, you know, like, wow. And uh, yeah. and that really made me think, uh, you know. Oh. I and I apologized profusely. I said, I don't know, you know, this the whole situation had taken over my life, like mm. I was absolutely absorbed by the stress by the, and work by the and financial and... burden. Yes. And then at the same time, a lot of the big projects I had were pulled off at the very last minute. And so mm. to make money, I would go and be camera assistant. So it was like I would give you know, the, the cameraman their lenses in an advertising shoot and people that were way younger than me. And I thought, you know, like, it's fine. Uh, you know, like, I'm fine with my ego. I can work as a camera assistant, as a focus puller. I can be an assistant. It doesn't matter. I just need to pay my debts. But, you know, I was not happy. I was like, well, this is not what I had planned. <laughs> um, mm. And then, and then, so that all made me think. And that night, you know, I was very down. And I looked at, I was watching stuff. And I came across Transcendental Meditation. Um, and uh, I came across this filmmaker, David Lynch, who is a big proponent of transcendental meditation, which is basically you have 20 minutes and you it's kind of like a power nap where you focus. And it's a power nap because you start meditating, but in that meditation, you go into a deep sleep uh, and then you wake up and you're absolutely re-energized. So I started doing that and I started thinking a lot about what do I want to do? Um, because at the same time, I realized that once again, there I was working for someone else's dreams. Mm -hmm. So all these projects 
all these documentaries, absolutely adverts and musical videos, they're not for me, they're for someone else. And I'm, I'm, and I love these collaborations, right? But I felt a void because it's like I'm doing everything, you know, like I'm building this house. It's, it's, yeah, it's for me, but it's for my kids. And, mm -hmm. and I'm working on all these projects and I've won awards and I've been nominated, but it's, it's not, it doesn't come out from me. Um, so, so yeah. with this, with doing then transcendental meditation, was this the first time that you felt you were again, just feeding then some feeding your own being in that moment? Like it, was it something to just kind of help you recenter, uh, and refocus? Yes. So it's funny because I always look for something. I'm always in search of something, you know, like, uh, so when I was in uni and I was teaching, we should English, always be searching. Yeah, That's the so, thing. We should always be. <laughs> so like I, I, and, and I, my father has suffers from depression and, and it's been handed down to me. It's a mm -hmm. biochemical thing and, and I can very easily get depressed. I mean, just today I was depressed in the morning, <laughs> but, um, so when I was in uni and I felt very lost because I was working as an English teacher, and I was, you know, not happy with the university. I took three months off while I was doing my thesis, and and I went looking for a martial art, and I found Aikido. So I went to different dojos like gyms, so mm -hmm. karate, and it's like, oh, can I watch? Yeah, this is how we kick the shit out of someone, and they just punch mm -hmm. someone. <laughs> And then Taekwondo, yeah, this is how we fly in the air and kick this guy's face. And I was like, oh my God. You know, like, I, it was not what I was looking for. And I find Aikido, which is this martial art, which is like, it works on the spiral. So someone attacks you and you throw their attack back. And it's, it's like life, what goes around comes around, basically. Oh, okay. And it's a, yeah, and it was, uh, like reflect, uh, what is it? Like blocking it so that it deflects it? Deflects it's not, the, is that... it's not it's not even blocking but it works like a spiral so when someone comes to mm. to hold you you move them around and they fly off anyway mm. it's a it's a beautiful martial art uh, and it was more of a spiritual thing and sometimes we would get to the door and then walk away because I was not afraid of the exercise I was afraid of confronting my ego. Mm. every time wow. uh, my sensei would say like she was French she would say like Joanna you are falling hard because you're fighting your ego. I was like, okay, mm. what does that mm. mean? So transcendental meditation, again, was one of these things in life um, where I found another way of looking at myself um, and thinking about my goals and thinking about life and, and helping me see hard times through. Um, and then we finished paying the mortgage um, by accident, we, we, you know, I got a call from the bank. They said uh, on a Friday, if you don't pay today, you know, Monday, it's going to the lawyers uh, for, you know, they start for repossession. And I owe the bank $3,000 out of 150, out of 210,000 with interest. Yeah, because of the 20%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I was like, what the hell? So I just called a friend and he, he lent, well, actually, he paid me a job that we were on at the moment. I said, can you pay the job right now? And I went to the Forex, changed the dollars into shillings, went to the bank five minutes before they closed. I paid. 
And then I turn around and I say, okay, can you look in the system and tell me how much foreign money I owe you? Mm. And they said, they look and they said, oh, no, you've just finished. And I thought, ah, oh, so I, thought, I thought we had another three months to go. Because I was so behind my payments. I was like two months, three months behind all the time. Anyway, so all of a sudden, and it's my daughter's birthday. So it's, it's actually, her birthday is on the... Um, April 21st, but we celebrated on the 13th. And um, it was Friday the 13th, and I'm lost. And I'm like, I can't believe, and my wife is like, I can't believe we've just finished paying the loan. I, I, <laughs> I didn't even know what to feel. I was numb. And I was still working. So we had my daughter's birthday. Uh, like friends came, and I said, uh, her little friends came, and I said, okay, I'll take some time off. And, uh, and then I'll come back to the office at 2 in the morning. So I went back to the office at 2 in the morning, and I was working. And then at 6, I go out for a cup of coffee. So my office is in my garden, which is the lucky thing. So I decide I'll go to the house, get a cup of coffee, and I stand in the middle of the plot, and I'm looking. And it's a miserable morning, but I love those miserable blue mornings. I just cried for two hours nonstop mm. <laughs> because just before doing that, I was chatting with a friend, with, uh, one of our classmates, Sebastian Palau, and he's like, "Oh, let's go to Japan, blah blah blah." And I said, and I and I said, "Yeah, let's plan for Japan, but let's do it next year." Um, and then I realized, like, oh, I could dream again, so I, I mm. had withheld my dreams during that period because there was no way I could, you know, do any of these dreams when I had this financial pressure. And so I decided I wouldn't let, I wouldn't let that happen again uh, you know, because it's too much of a sacrifice. And I think... So you, that you wouldn't let basically fi financial blockages like that be things that would block you from being able to dream. Yes. yes. Try not to get involved in anything that where you sacrifice. You mm -hmm. have to sacrifice everything. I think I, I mean, you know, like you have to sacrifice things in life. Um, but um, but not so much. Mm -hmm. oh, wow. So yeah, there's been quite a bit of those those moments then for you in your life, different different junctures, like you said. You were talking about luck and magic and those junctures, like that luck is kind of when the opportunity and the preparation meet. But then also in life, there's just been a lot of other different kind of junctures that have been life uh, awakening and changing for you. Now, let's um, talk a little bit about how now during COVID as a filmmaker, what has been your purpose? And talk a little bit about these vignettes that you've been doing, which was actually what 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 uh, prompted me to contact you and see if you wanted to um, hop on because I loved what you were doing with your with your journal vignettes. So, would you mind sharing that, and then we'll 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 wrap up? Yeah. So look, um, just very quickly. So you know, my son is very intelligent and but he's got very emotional understanding and social skills. Uh, he's kind of like almost Asperger's, 
and mm -hmm. and he's a lovely kid and uh throughout the years we've given him tools we've been helping therapists to help him cope and understand more about the emotional side and social side anyway we found we found and, and we talk about this lunch time uh, dinner time uh, family at times and my daughter she is uh, very emotionally intelligent um and she tells me my wife brings this up like oh there is this thing iq eq sq aq so you have the intelligence coefficient emotional quotient sorry social mm. quotient and adversity quotient and lola Ooh. says lola says jam blue if you give me some of your iq i'll give you some of my <laughs> eq sq because <laughs> you don't have any <laughs> And, and uh, she's so much younger. She's how many years younger than he is with her? She's, she's, she's 11. She's, she's funky. 11, so she's funky. Years. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> like and, that. Uh, and one of the things that, you know, like our marriage could have fallen apart through these five years playing marriage because it was under such stress. Right? Mm. Um, luckily, my wife is very resilient as well. And then talking when we heard about this, AQ adversity quotient. I love that. Yeah. It it was like, you know, like it's so true because um, you know we could have sold the plot or half of the plot, and we just she would just turn around and say it's just two more years, and I'm like, do you know how many days that is? But we we made it through, and um, and so um, I feel that some people have a huge adversity quotient. Like a lot of people that make them make it in life have gone through terrible hardships, and but that's that AQ. Anyway, yeah, that would be the resilience. That's the resilience component. So AQ, resilience. in other words, resilience. Yeah, resilience. Yeah. Resilience. So um, well, luckily, okay. During COVID, so <laughs> funny thing is, the minute I finished paying the mortgage, then. Uh, all the jobs I've had, they haven't been canceled. Like I, whatever happened, it was a bad streak or it was fate. But then I've been on so many projects and, and then my name started going out more out there. And so I've, I've always been busy, but now I've been busy with in, more international clients, uh, which pay so much better. And, uh, and I got on a long-term project. I mean, this is the, I started in 2018, uh, doing a history series here in the bush, which is where I'm actually right now. It's the biggest. And the bush is what, the bush is just the outskirts. What does the bush consider? No, this is for us. Okay. The bush, the, bush? Kenya, the bush in yes, Kenya, the bush in Kenya is where you will find lions, elephants, okay. uh, wildlife. So the bush is like what, uh, what like in Colombia would be like the jungle. Like what the bush is that, that that's considered what, what, yeah? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> out, yes. Yeah. Okay. Nature, being out in the woods kind of thing in the nature. Okay. Not yeah, in the woods, but in the plains. Park, and, National and, park, national <laughs> park or park. reserves or like there are yes. places where you have wild animals and it's okay. not a park or a reserve. It's just like. Thank you. Thank you for so fe feeding the... my IQ. Thank you for feeding my IQ. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. So this, this is the largest national park. It's huge. And I'm working with a filmmaker who's 82 years old. And he's lived in this park since the uh, 
1969. Uh, he's filmed okay. the poaching that's happened here. He was mm. uh, second unit director of Out of Africa. Uh, he's worked mm. with Clint wow. Eastwood. He's worked with uh, Steven Spielberg, uh, big names. Um, mm -hmm. And but he always was interested in making his wildlife stories. So he's like, mm -hmm. oh, I worked in Out of Africa, so I could get money to make my film about the honey badger. Um, mm -hmm. So I've had a very consistent job, but it's been quite demanding. Um, and then I've I've got some clients in South Africa, and I'm doing advertising for them, where I produce everything, and then we shoot it here and we edit it. And uh, and then other people approaching me. Um, so, for example, last year with COVID, there was a high demand for cameramen here in Kenya from overseas, because uh, generally speaking, you would have the BBC, uh, Planet Earth, you would have uh, now Netflix, uh, mm -hmm. Nat Geo sending their own crews, but uh, with lockdown. And all planes on the ground, they had to use local cameramen. So we're we're some um, uh, expat cameramen here in Kenya, um, and we got calls. Can you go and film this? Can you go and film that? So last year was not a bad year for us. Uh, it was actually there was even more work because of COVID. Um, but then. It got me thinking again about this whole thing of me working for other people's dreams. And one of the things I had been moaning about in the past years, uh, inclusively when paying the mortgages, that I was not exercising my own creativity. Again, I'm working for someone else. And so this project is an amazing project, but it's for someone else. Uh, of course, there's always something of you in there, but, but I'm following someone else's instructions. Uh, and I can exercise my creativity, but it's not the same. It's not my things. So I've been putting off writing my own film, you know. I've been putting off doing my own thing. And and uh, a, a friend of mine did a video diary. He's a film director. Uh, he works with me here in Nairobi. And he did a film diary last year. He made a film per day. And... And he kept saying, why don't you do one? Why, do you, why don't you just do one? I'm like, no, nah, I'm too busy. And then I thought, I'm always busy. And I will always be busy. <laughs> right. You know, like, <laughs> that's not going to It's such change. a cheap excuse, isn't it? Yeah, it's such a cheap excuse to put off our dreams. It's always the I'm busy, right? It's like one of these, like, um, kind of... Um, I don't know what do we said, like automatic pilot responses that we do and we end up using it all the time to put off what we really truly are desiring to do. So that is so, okay. So you make the realization well, like I'm always busy. Funny. So then <laughs> it's funny because a lot of people, uh, you know, friends and other people that have, I've spoken to about my life or asked me, how did you end up here? Everyone asks me, how did you do it? And I said, I just did it. I just, you know, I just mm -hmm. plunged myself out of my comfort zone and said, let's go to Kenya. And so then I keep having this same conversation and they say, some people have come to me and it's like, oh, you know, I'm so fed up with my job. I hate it. 
and then I met this guy in Paris when I was doing this master's degree and this whatever blah 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 and I and I just don't know what to do I said well follow your dream just you know live your job no but you know getting a job is so hard in Colombia um, you just said you hated it you know uh -huh. so like um, and it's fear so I realized it's fear mm -hmm. we you know we live with fears irrational fears so actually putting something off like me putting off writing my film is the fear of failure but you only yeah. grow when you fail and 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 that's mm -hmm. the thing you know and and so what i decided with this diary is okay let's just do it i started as a fun thing january 1st i filmed my house like january 1st nothing is happening and then the kids they're running and playing with the dogs and and then i thought like oh how do we make this more interesting or just have a shot of all the cake we've eaten and then put it there before the kids you hear this screaming <laughs> and they're up. running and that's like sugar rush yes and yes. then the second day i did another i saw my daughter doing the dishes and i thought you know she's always doing her dishes with her headphones and I said, I'm going to turn you into a rock star because she has been saying, I want to be in America's Got Talent. So I said, okay, you're going to be in Nairobi's Got Talent. You know, I'm going to make you a rock star. <laughs> and then it turned into this thing. Uh, and I said, okay, I'm doing this. I'm doing a film per day. Uh, because it's been so much fun, so challenging. And then I realized, you know, that fear, I'm killing it, which is the fear of failure. I don't care if I, you know, like every day I do a little film, it's for myself and other people watch it. But if it's not great, so what? But I did something that very few people do, right? Which is I'm doing a little film per day. So it's my own thing. Mm -hmm. And it's been amazing because um, I've had this surge of creativity. I just look around and I start seeing stories coming out. Mm. Um, and and they can be very, very experimental or very straightforward or you know but it's this thing about looking at your own life and it's a diary it is a diary mm. but but then there's so many things i'm learning right ah i can you know i can have the discipline i'm very disciplined working for other people i've never di been disciplined with my own work so now i'm like i could do two or three hours a day my own thing so i could write a script when i'm done with this and mm -hmm. you know just say okay it'll take a year but i'll do it every day you know i'll put the time so has it's has it was it january 1st of this year that you started no january or january 1st yeah. of last yeah. Of this no, year, no, no. okay. So this, what? Year, this, this year, year. Yes. okay. This year, so it just started right now, yeah. And they're they're quite uh, intriguing. And you were talking about like the little things and nuances. And the, I was I was texting you saying how the one about the closing of drawers and stuff like that, how it relates to some things in my home. Like anytime my husband sees a drawer that's open, like closing it. So it's like really simple, yet like in just a few minutes, um, does it's tell a story. A the one of the a minute? A it's a minute? Oh yeah, my I gosh. It's only, challenge. And, They're only a minute long. And and yet there is a, there's a, a, a story in just that minute. And, and it makes us wonder just in life, really, like you just said, there is a story, even in the, in the, uh, uh, what is it called? 
the maybe monotony in somebody's day that they may think that the day looks the same as yesterday. You, you mentioned before groundhog, groundhog day type of thing. Um, yet it, it isn't. There is always some nuance that is different, some nuances. And that's what you're capturing in your little vignettes. And so um, I really do invite people to to go check them out. And I'll definitely, if you um, allow me to share that link then in the- um, Absolutely in the in the the show notes so that people can go click and and view these because they they're just they're so entertaining and also thought provoking as well too and um also the fact that you are out there in the bush uh, filming also animals and stuff too the was it a stampede you you have a stampede right uh do, do, did you do a stampede i know you have one of the flock of uh, birds um i don't i don't have a stampede have, yet unless you i haven't established okay <laughs> okay, but you do have a, a flock of birds. So, okay, so there's different, yeah. you know, things like that. So, yeah. anyway, so I invite everybody to see. Any closing words, Dron? And, and I'm just so grateful again for you coming on and again showing us really that even though fear might hold us back from stepping into something new, it's in that stepping out of our comfort zone and uh, knowing that, yes, there can be fear associated some of these steps sphere in going to a new country, but yet uh, there's a world of possibilities of what can come. Is there something else you'd want to add to that? Yeah. You know, like the thing about, it sounds so simple uh, stepping out of your comfort zone, right? It's, it's, it's like telling someone when they're angry, don't be angry. Or when they're sad, mm -hmm. don't be sad. It's cheap. It's so easy mm -hmm. to say that. Um, and it's not easy stepping out of your comfort zone. And, uh, and, and it gets harder because as you step out of your comfort zone, your comfort zone gets bigger. And it gets bigger and it gets bigger. And then the fears can become bigger, you know. So at the end of the day, it's all about fighting your own fears. It's about finding the rationality of these fears. Um, and also, you know, not ever stopping dreaming. I have to say that, like, I took a life insurance a couple of years ago. And, uh, and, and I've thought, it's funny because I, I thought all the time, well, if I die today, I mean, it will be, of course, very sad. But in terms of my own life, I have outlived the dreams I had when I was a kid. And which, which I don't know if like growing as I did, you know, like for me, those dreams were big and I'm not talking about like, I want to be president of the United States. I mean, talk about that dream, um, but about your personal dreams and, yeah. and I, you know, I've surpassed my personal dreams uh, because it has been a very different life than what I had expected. And I've achieved more. You know, like I never expected to have my own house you know, at the age of uh, 42, my property and no debts. Um, but then your dreams change. And, and now doing these little short films, I'm like, okay, yes, I, if I die, uh, I've had a life that I never expected. But now I'm thinking like, no, wait a minute, I cannot die. There's still so much more to do mm. um, because I have found uh, a renewed source of energy. Physically, I'm exhausted because it's quite demanding and I don't have the stamina I used to have. 
but like my mind i'm just you know it's surging and so yeah it's very important to no matter what always try to to break the pattern and and do something a bit different and and do something for yourself uh and, we don't and, do enough yeah, for ourselves and I think that in that in that aspect of tapping into our creativity and doing something for ourselves is where you feel energized. That's why you feel that renewed sense of energy, even if you're physically exhausted because you're doing something that is fulfilling your dreams, um, right? Like you feel like, okay, I just came back from filming, but I'm going to do my my I'm going to finish my own little vignette of my own short movie exactly. today. Right. So there's a sense of purpose. And like you said before, there is definitely a difference. And I, I, I learned something from you. I tend to be that type of person that when it's doing something um, in a group environment that others depend on my work, I am very committed. I'm very committed and I will do it. And it's very few things that I feel that I do because it's mine. And actually, this podcast has shown and I'm going to get emotional. And I'm going to. Now, as I'm saying it, <laughs> this podcast, creating this podcast almost a year ago has shown me that I am actually capable of doing something that is really just based on my own doings and following through and that it's not because somebody else depends on me putting it out there, but it's because of something I, I'm doing. <laughs> so, and that's, um, that's it, wonderful. And, and I, I relate to that because, look, every day I get messages from different people. And uh, my doctor, we call Dr. Gandhi, he's very, very old. Uh, he sent me a message this morning. And, and I send him the videos every day on WhatsApp. I asked him, mm -hmm. like, are you happy to get this? And you don't have to reply ever. He said, yeah, send them. And he's hmm. not said anything. And he wrote this morning, thank you very much, Joanne. I watch your posted clips every day. Your eye for details, mm. artistry, sound effects are all very captivating. I am beginning to see a side of you that I was aware of, of all this time, but not in such details. Please keep sending the clips every day. And, <laughs> and, and, and I had tears in my eyes because... You know, I got chills, yeah. Because Somebody that's like, known you for so long, yet that he's seeing something completely new in you. That's exactly. right. Oh, and that's one of the things I felt like, um, one of the things that I'm getting out of this is that people are getting to know me better. People are getting to understand, like, you know, I'm the, the uh, I have friends that say, ah, Colombiano! You know, they see me and they just stereotype me. And and people, you know, like in the media, is like, oh, oh yeah, he's a doc. oh, you need an interview? He's a documentary filmmaker. And I'm like, I don't mm -hmm. do interviews. I, I, I make films. And so this, yeah. now people are going like, oh, okay. Uh, this is what you do and understand a little bit more about where I come from. That's awesome. That's awesome. So yeah, your, your storytelling your about your own life. It's funny because <laughs> I looked at your podcast and I thought, you know, this is Canva doing this podcast for herself. And, mm. and I was looking and I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And it, it is pretty <laughs> cool, you know? Thank you. Well, I'm glad that you're a part of it. Thank you for for coming into my my little world here into my little bubble of the podcast and sharing your story and to everybody else that listened today i hope that you took as many nuggets as i did in um in this conversation so thank you once again 
And with our time difference, I'm so glad we were able to still be able to manage it, <laughs> having it, having well, it is, done. So this is when I edit. I'm gonna get up and start editing. <laughs> and little, start working on your video. short film. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Gracias, amiguillo. Right. Gracias a ti. Bye. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.